if you stop and think for a minute, you'll probably realize that you've you spent much of your life stepping outside your comfort zone without even realizing it. You know, you went from um, you went from grammar school to to, to high school, uh, which for a lot of people is a big leap. You went from high school perhaps to university, then you went from the world of a student perhaps to the world of a working person to a job, and maybe you've changed jobs or maybe you've taken on different tasks and so on. And if you do an invent, maybe you've gotten married. Maybe you've had kids. You know, if you take an inventory of your life, you'll probably realize you've had much more experience stepping outside your comfort zone. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today it is my absolute great pleasure to be joined by Professor Andy Molinsky. Hi, Andy. Hey, how are you? Andy Molinsky is a, a professor at uh, Brandeis University's International Business School. And he has a PhD in Organizational Behavior and an MA in Psychology from Harvard University. And he also holds a master's degree in international affairs from Columbia University and another one in international affairs from Brown University. And Andy's work helps people to develop the insights and courage necessary to act outside their personal and cultural comfort zones. And I'm particularly really interested in this conversation that we're going to have because as someone who has lived abroad as a child and is now living abroad for 15 years and continuously doing things outside of my comfort zone, like recording podcasts, for example, I'm absolutely fascinated by this topic. Um, Andy is also an, a speaker, regular speaker, and also an author. And we were going to be touching upon his two books, uh, one of them, Global Dexterity, which was published in 2013. And it also won the Best Business Book in International Business and Globalization Award. And then also his new book, which is called Reach, published by Penguin Random House. So after all of this introduction, um, I would like to ask you, Andy, to, to now tell listeners a little bit about, bit about yourself. We have a global audience, so some may have not heard about your books, about your teaching. What is it that got you really in, interested in these topics and, and just your career and, and perhaps more about your passion and then what really drives you. Sure, um, and thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to, to be here with you. Um, so, so let's see, um, I, I think what started me off in terms of my interests was my own experience going abroad. Um, I, I went to college in the United States. I grew up at a time without the internet. I know some listeners will find that hard to believe. <laughs> no internet, no, no cell phones, nothing. Um, and so I, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. And, you know, I, I, I was, both my parents were from, were from the United States. I had never traveled abroad. I did not live a third kid culture existence. I was not a global, uh, you know, a globe trotter. I was just, you know, just a kid. Um, I, I, I was very curious though about foreign languages and foreign cultures. And again, with Without the possibility of, you know, accessing them easily on the internet and so on, um, 
And I went abroad. I, I decided I wanted to go abroad my junior year of college. And actually, initially, I wanted to go to um, Russia. But this was before the wall came down. That tells you how old I am. And it was actually, it turned out it was actually quite hard to study abroad in Russia at the time. You had to have a very high level of Russian. I had only taken at that time maybe a year and a half of Russian in college, so pretty minimal. And so I, I was disappointed in that, but I, I decided that I still wanted to go abroad. So, so I, I, I took Spanish 101, you know, basic Spanish. I, I also never took that in high school. And I learned enough to enable me to go abroad. And that, that I went to Madrid. And that just opened up my world. Uh, it was it was an example of um, crossing cultures for the first time, meeting people for the first time from other places, speaking a language. Now, of course, at first I was not you know very fluent at all. I was pretty minimal. But then you know I learned fairly quickly and so on. And and also acting outside my comfort zone. I remember how incredibly terrified I was. Um, the night before I I left, I had never been on a plane by myself and so on. It was. It was just terrifying, frankly. Um, and but I did it. I, I did it. And and it. I think that was a pivotal moment for me, and that really changed my my focus in in, in my professional life for sure. No, thank you. Thank you very much for for sharing this. And and uh, as we just were discussing, and I told you before the podcast in our pre-podcast chat, I spent the past hour watching your uh, Reach interview series on your YouTube channel where you interview other thought leaders and, and authors and researchers about uh, their comfort zone and, and their development. And um, what is very interesting is that quite often uh, the imposter syndrome comes up coupled with, with the comfort zone issue. And, and I think we, those who have been on this, uh, in this club so to speak who have gone abroad who have really put themselves into that situation when you you wake up the first day and you think why the hell was I wanting to come here you know it's just so incredibly foreign and uncomfortable you think why couldn't I just stay at home so so tell me a little bit more about then how did you then decide to do more into a research in this actually and and help companies who are globalizing and also people who are traveling what what was the motivating factor then behind your research and wanting to pursue more of this in in terms of your authorship so i after i came back from spain i wanted more actually so yeah. after, so it when becomes i becomes a kind of a drug right <laughs> exactly so i, I actually uh, after college i went to france and i lived and worked in paris learned french and so on and um i, I became fascinated at that point with um with organization, at the time I didn't know it was called organizational behavior or even social psychology. I didn't really know what it was from an academic standpoint or from an intellectual standpoint, but I just knew I was fascinated by um, by how people were able to adapt and change and intercultural communication and workplace dynamics and workplace culture and so on. And so I came back from France, what, back to the U.S., wondering like, what is this? What what you know? How, how can I learn more about this? And so eventually I landed on doing a PhD in organizational behavior and psychology. 
And I, I was just fascinated by the topic. And so for my PhD dissertation, I actually ended up studying um, people from the former Soviet Union, Russians, not only from Russia, but from the former Soviet Union in the United States, learning to adapt and adjust their own cultural behaviors during the job search process in the United States. So interviewing, networking, making small talk, all these things that were incredibly hard for them. Even if they knew intellectually what they needed to do, like they could write down the differences, they could tell you the differences, but actually doing it was really hard. And that's, so I, So my dissertation, my PhD dissertation was about that. It was about adapting and adjusting your, your cultural behavior. From there, I started doing lots of academic work in that topic. I started to do teaching and training and all of that cul culminated in 2013 after many years of doing this with the book Global Dexterity. Now, let me ask you a question that has been really on my mind for all these years, also going through all these international experiences, and perhaps the whole purpose of this podcast is that I can finally ask you this question. Do you find, did you find this perhaps within yourself and the people you interview, the people you work with? Do people take on different characteristics uh, when they are in the other culture, when they're speaking the other language, is, is, do you think that there's a form of adaptation which also goes a little bit even deeper than just speaking another language? Does it affect how they think, their sense of humor? Um, wh what do you think about this? That's really interesting. You know, I, I, I haven't thought a lot about it, but as, you're, as we're talking, it started to make me think about it. Um, I this is just my guess. You know, just drawing from my own experience and other people's experiences, I think there's probably I think there's a range. You know, I, th I think there's some people who um, who kind of can can even at the extreme have end up having kind of separate selves. You know, separate separate modes. You know, there's the version of me in France um, with my French friends speaking French. Um, you know, adopting the mannerisms, some of the some of the humor the cultural references and so on. Uh, and then there's me in the United States uh, with in English with my friends and so on. I, I think that I think a lot of it has to do with um, with the extent to which you end up separating or integrating those different aspects of yourself. Other people probably end up with a very integrated um, persona in a way where over time they sort of meld together different experiences, different elements from different cultures to have almost like a uh, an internal model UN inside themselves, you know, model United Nations <laughs> inside themselves, that they're very sort of in, in, in what that ends up being is very cosmopolitan. So certain people end up being, you, you could be bicultural where you kind of flip back and forth. You could end up being sort of a meld or a mix or cosmopolitan. But I, I suspect it's very personal this, the trajectory that people take in terms of that. That's just my sort of off-the-cuff guess. No, it's very, very interesting. And I guess the whole point of our conversation is, is also trying to really learn from you about what makes an individual thrive and what makes an organization thrive in a world where you are no longer in your monocultural... I mean, it's, it's practically impossible, right, to to not be in an uncomfortable situation, not be in an intercultural or multicultural situation. So all of us uh, will have to adapt to one or other degree. And, and I think that perhaps the more you can 
relate and empathize with the other culture, make it your own in a way, um, will help you, I guess, to, to, to get to this level of, of thriving. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I, I, you know, the, I've also noticed another phenomenon, which is um, sometimes, you know, of course, you've got your uh, on top of on top of the cultural influences on us is is are some aspects of our sort of innate aspects of our personality. And sometimes in our own culture, um, the cultural norms, the rules might be consistent with who we are and our personality. And sometimes they're sort of in contrast with who we are and our personality. But then when we go to a new culture, you might actually end up finding more or less of a fit with your personality. So certain aspects of your personality might have been latent. They might have not been able to be expressed in a way in your native culture. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I have, uh, so I, I teach in a, in a business program. I'm a professor. And in addition to doing research and consulting and speaking and so on, I, I teach. I, I have a lot of awesome, great, wonderful students. Um, and so imagine a student um, from a culture like, let's say, China, and you're in class participation uh, in university is not encouraged and in some cases discouraged. Now, this, there's some, you know, things are changing in, in education now, but just sort of broad brushstrokes, general, g generally speaking. But what if you're a very extroverted, assertive, outgoing Chinese person who likes to speak their mind? <laughs> and in, chi in China, you kind of were, you were bottled up by the cultural norms in that case. There was a misfit. But then you come to the United States and all of a sudden the cultural norms are aligned with your personality and you can kind of allow that aspect of yourself to, to, to come out, to flourish, right? And so the challenge there, the challenge there actually might be figuring out how to, how to dial it down, how to tame it, how to, how to actually, yes, it's consistent with a U.S. norm where, yes, you can speak your mind and so on, but, but, but you probably need to then, you know, refine it in a way that works in the U.S. Hmm. That's really, really interesting. Now, uh, one of the questions that I also wanted to ask you is that we at the Work Life Hub, we work mainly on the interrelation um, and the intersection of people's work and their non-work lives. Um, and of course, we look a lot at passion, whether you can be really happy and, and fulfilled in your work if you're just doing something that is you don't particularly feel passionate about and, and how then that affects your your private time or your family life. And I, I, I hear that this, this um, notion over and over again, and I just wanted to run it by you, this idea that some people still believe that you're either born talented, you're either born outspoken, a go-getter, or not. And, and I think this, this really stops a lot of people from crafting their own happy and successful lives because they just say, oh, this is just not for me. I can never be that person. And your thesis is that you have to push yourself. You have to, and it's learnable, right? Yes, it is learnable. Um, and I, and I, I completely understand what you're saying. If something's outside our comfort zones, it's very hard to do. You know, it's almost like a magnet. We're pulled back into our comfort zones. But that's exactly what I address in my book, Reach, um, which is not about culture per se, but it's about the challenges and opportunities of stepping outside your comfort zone. You know, why, why it's hard, what holds us back, 
but then how you can actually overcome those challenges. So, so my, my, my view from my own personal experience and from interviewing many, many people from a, a variety of different professional backgrounds in the, in the book, I, I interview people, you know, executives, managers, um, entrepreneurs, small business owners, priests, uh, goat farmers, rabbis, all sorts of people, uh, teachers, students, actors. Um, and I find that people, you know, people are able to, to in, a, in a way, reinvent themselves, step outside their comfort zones, take on tasks and jobs and responsibilities that, that, that they never realized that they would ever be able to do. Um, but, but, it, but, it's, but it's a little bit more, it's not rocket science, it's not impossible, but it's a little more challenging than, than you'd find on the internet if you Google comfort zone and step outside a comfort zone and you'll find people jumping off cliffs and skydiving and you know, in, in, in circles with other circles saying, you know, your life begins outside your comfort zone and the magic happens only outside your comfort zone. And all that might be true, but it, it doesn't really tell you how to do it. So that's, that's why I want to write that book. And what is the essence of the strategy that you're proposing in the book, Reach? Yeah, so, so, um, so, so in the book, I, I talk about, I first talk about, um, about why it's so challenging to step outside our comfort zones. And even though this is not explicitly part of my, my strategy, um, I think it's really important actually to understand because it helps you understand what's holding you back. So for example, I talk about how there are a variety of psychological roadblocks people face. Um, one is authenticity. We don't feel uh, ourselves acting outside our comfort zone. Another one is likability. We're afraid that people won't like this version of us. Uh, competence, we're afraid that we'll, we'll be a flop. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be ineffective. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fail. And, and other people will see that resentment. Sometimes pe people feel resentment. The idea like, you know, logically, you know, you need to adapt, I guess, to, to, to grow and to be successful in a challenging <clears throat> situation. But, but psychologically, you might feel resentful. You might feel annoyed or angry that you have to do it in the first place. And then morality. Sometimes in certain situations, it, it, it feels like an ethical a dilemma to, to step outside your comfort zone. So I think the first I think the first part, frankly, is to try to understand what's holding you back. Um, in terms of strategies, what I found is I found three main strategies, and this was based on my academic research, my the interviews I did, reflecting on my own experience. The first was um, the first was conviction, which sounds simple, but it's actually it's it's essential. I think, uh, to step outside your comfort zone. And what that is, is trying to locate for yourself, what's in it for you? Like, why is this really important for you to do? To recognize it, to own it, to embrace it. For some people, it's a sort of a professional, more instrumental source of conviction. You know, I, I, I really... I, I, I really want to be able to uh, speak in public. I really want to be able to speak up in meetings. I really, I really know I need to learn to do sales because it's important for me professionally, and I really care about that. For other people, it's personal. For other people, it's um, you know, it's 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 absolutely personal. So, for example, for me, it's usually more personal for me. Um, I have two children. Uh, a 10 and a 12 year old. And I always, every time I'm thinking of stepping outside my comfort zone and, and, and I feel afraid to do it and I, I have that impulse to retreat backwards, I always think to myself, well, I'm trying to tell my kids to step outside their comfort zones, <laughs> trying to have them be courageous. I have to be a good role model. I want to be a good role model. So, so, I, so, so conviction is the first part. Um, shall I continue or? 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, mm, yes, and then I'll have another question, because what you just said, um, or maybe I can ask it now, um, is, this a, is this a muscle that can be trained? I think so. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, it's a good metaphor. I think it is a good metaphor because when, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're an athlete or even a weekend athlete or an occasional athlete, you know, if you go off and, and, and try to run or play a sport or, or hike or whatever it might be, and you, you don't do it very, infre- do it very frequently, your, your muscles are going to ache. They're going to hurt, right? It's, it's, it's not, it's not going to be easy because you haven't, you haven't, um, you haven't been training those muscles, but I do, I do believe that, um, that, that through this, this practice and, 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 um, continued practice and reinforcement, you can train your muscles. And, and what's nice is that it's sort of the analogy continues because if you train your muscles, you know, um, hiking, you'll probably be a little, you'll probably be even, you know, fit to play f- soccer or football. Right. Um, and the same is true here. If you train your muscles to learn, to step outside your comfort zone in one situation, you're probably not only going to learn how to be more successful in that situation, but you'll start to learn how to learn and you'll be more successful in the second situation. Exactly. So it just made me think because when you said, you know, the conviction and and really finding that one goal, that one must that, you know, is not a nice to have, but, but is a must have for you and you're willing to put yourself through the grinder to get there then you probably realize that, oh, well, I, I could do that. So now I can apply all of this process um, because I know I, I survive and I come out of it at the other end. So uh, just as you did, I guess, you know, going first to Spain and then to France, it becomes a, a kind of, a, I, I jokingly said it's a drug, but, but there is something about this overcoming a fear and, and getting through it, acquiring the competencies that, it's it's really empowering, and you just want to do it again, I guess. Well, just like a drug, though, drugs have uh, drugs have. Um, there's a time element to the effectiveness of a drug, right? So, you know, if you're taking a drug, it's only going to work for a certain amount of time, and then it's out of your system. So that's why I think it's important. So, like when I went to Spain, very soon after I went to France. You know, now, many, many, many years later, I suspect if I were considering going abroad again, now I have a family, so it's a bit more complicated. <laughs> but if I were considering doing that, I suspect that I'd be afraid again, despite the fact that I've done it twice. Right. But that was a long time ago. Right. So so I, there's there's it's it, it is critical um, to, to keep doing something. Uh, to, if it's something outside your comfort zone, if it's speaking in public, if it's delivering bad news, not that you really want to deliver bad news all the time, uh, if it's learning to pitch and promote yourself, if it's learning to be more assertive and speaking up for yourself, whatever it might be, you know, t- if you do it once a year, it'll probably be hard the next time and maybe just as hard. But if you do it, if you do it with some relative frequency, you can really build the muscle, so to speak. That's great. It's very, very important, I think, aspect to, to consider. So maybe if we can go to the, the second one. Sure. Yeah. So, so the second one, so, so we have conviction. The second one was, I have to say, was probably the most surprising and in some ways exciting aspect of, uh, that, that I found, which was, I, I call it customization. It's the idea that, that um, we, have, we have a bit more power than we think to, to sculpt or craft or tweak, you, use whatever word you want, slightly, slightly adjust situations that are outside our comfort zones to make them feel just that little bit more 
comfortable, natural, authentic for us. And that is a real boost. So you can customize in a lot of ways. Um, I found people were able to customize their body language, um, customize by bringing a little prop, some something to the events. Like for for example, uh, I every time I earlier in my career I was nervous to speak in public. I would I would wear a special ring that that re represented courage to me because the stone in the ring was something my great uncle had found when he was serving in World World War II, uh, and I. He found that 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 stone in the ring, and it always represented courage to me. Now, no one else knew this except you. Now, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and there's uh, six thousand listeners. <laughs> exactly, right. you all know. It. But uh, but but at the time, no one knew it. I was just wearing this ring, so it was, it was a prop I brought. Some, sometimes people can, you know, manipulate the context a little bit. So if you're afraid of of giving a speech. Uh, per perhaps um, you might ask if it could be a Q&A, or perhaps you might go a little bit early to the situation, meet a few people so that you're now not speaking in front of strangers, but you actually know a couple of people. Um, you might manipulate the timing. You can even alter your language in certain ways. Sometimes there's cert in certain situations, there might be certain phrases that feel a little bit more comfortable for you, uh, different from the standard phrase that you're taught. Um, but in a particular situation, for example, I spoke with people in customer, customer services who felt very inauthentic and uncomfortable delivering bad news according to the script. But when they were able to tweak it just a little bit, they started to feel more empowered and more, frankly, compassionate delivering this bad news. And so there are many, many, many ways that, that we can customize. But I guess the point is that it brings the power or a little bit of power back into your hands in situations that otherwise often feel helpless. So that that's why customization is important. Yeah, this is great. I, I don't think I've ever heard this um, conceptualized this way. And I think it's really useful and, and very important. And what's the third strategy? So the third, and I should say that in the book, I describe all sorts of ways people can customize because there are a lot of tools available to you. The third one is clarity. Um, uh, I found that people oftentimes stepping outside their comfort zone, um, you know, when I reflect on my own experience as well, um, when, when we're feeling anxious and afraid, we tend to do what psychologists call catastrophizing. We look at the worst possible cases, like we our, 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 our worries go to the extreme, uh, dri driven by our fear, you know, that I'll, if I'm, if I'm going to speak in public, that it's that, that I'm going to be a total flop, it's going to be an awful situation, I'll be a failure. Uh, and therefore, I might not do it. Or, or we could go to the other extreme, the sort of unrealistic, positive extreme and say, I'm, I'm only going to give a, a talk unless it's, you know, the, the best TED talk anyone's ever seen. And unless I'm Unless I'm going to do that, it's just not worth doing. And so I think I think that fear and anxiety drives our our predictions and worries about the future into extreme categories. And I found that people who were most successful in taking a leap were able to kind of bring it into the center to to make it a little bit more normalized, um, to rein it in a little bit and be a bit more realistic. Uh, about their about their thinking about the prospects for the situation, and that was that was quite important. I found for people to to stop avoiding and actually to try something out. No, this is so um, enlightening what you just said because, of course, I think we've all the listeners and myself included, we've all been there. You know, when you have to do that first public speaking. And you think they would just boo me off the stage or I would die on stage and they have to call an ambulance. And then, but you, the more you do it, 
your expectation about what's going to happen get more and more realistic, right? You you kind of approach that middle, um, you know, that it's, uh, I guess, and that's that helps you also every time you do it, you will be able to predict um, with more and more accuracy what is actually going to happen because you've been there and you've, you've survived. Yeah, and, and of course, it's hard to do this uh, the first time, right? But but there are ways to think about it. You know, you can, this comes out of like cognitive behavioral therapy and psychology, the idea of, you know, you know, what's, what's the worst possible thing could happen that could happen? How, how likely is it that that's going to happen? And so on. There are a series of questions you can ask yourself. You also can probably realize that, you know, that, that even though right now you're thinking this is the first time you've ever done anything like this outside your comfort zone, if you stop and think for a minute, you'll probably realize that you've, you spent much of your life stepping outside your comfort zone without even realizing it. You know, you went from um, you went from grammar school to to, to high school, uh, which for a lot of people is a big leap. You went from high school perhaps to university. Then you went from the world of a student perhaps to the world of a working person to a job, and maybe you've changed jobs or maybe you've taken on different tasks and so on. And if you do an invent, maybe you've gotten married. Maybe you've had kids. You know, if you take an inventory of your life, you'll probably realize you've had much more experience stepping outside your comfort zone than you realize. Absolutely. Very, very true. Now, unfortunately, as time is running a little bit, always way too quickly here, I find that it's entering a time warp. Um, before we go to the last uh, question, may I ask you, Andy, to tell listeners um, what's the best way to find you, to find your books? how they can maybe get in touch? Sure. I, I think the easiest is my website, uh, and that has all the information about, about everything. It's got lots of tools and videos and, 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 and articles and all sorts of stuff. Um, so the, my website is, is basically is my name. Uh, it's www.andymolinsky, A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y, Dot com and a funny story is that um, so many people spell my name wrong that we actually I actually ended up buying a few different domain sites with the wrong spellings. <laughs> so if you have if you if you end up trying to trying to like type it in with one of these very common wrong spellings, you'll still get there. <laughs> That's great. That's a great idea. I should do that too because I have one of those surnames as well. <laughs> That's great. Well, um, so now coming to the last question, and, and what I wanted to also ask you um, following my research and, and your books is what are maybe some of the tools that organizations can use or that managers can use to that they build it into maybe the work, uh, the way they work or the processes to really encourage their employees to be a little bit more bold, to take some risks, to maybe not go all the way to disruption and, and entrepreneurship, but, but to really stay ahead of the curve. I, I believe the organizations have to do this. Um, do you have some examples? Do you have some tips on how managers or organizations can do this? I think there are a lot of ways, and I think that it can run the gamut. I was uh, several months ago. I was at an organization where the CEO has made this the top priority for all his uh, higher-level managers in the entire company, and he has them go through um, a series of experiences and, and trainings all year on this topic because he believes that 
for his organization to grow. It's so hard to find really good people, first of all. And then ultimately, their jobs and roles and responsibilities are going to be changing so much if he wants to keep these people. Frankly, he said that the titles that they have today might not even exist in two or three years in his industry. They might have to have a totally different set of responsibilities. So acting outside your comfort zone is is a, is the is it the essence of him being able to build a successful organization. So that's an example where at the very highest levels, it's given a like the absolute top priority. But I think that even in smaller ways, you know, managers, um, leaders can help encourage people to to step outside their comfort zone. And there are all sorts of things you can do. You can help you can help your employees um, uh, develop uh, a, a, a strategy, a plan. Um, I, I like to talk about it in terms of just right challenges. So you can help your employees uh, figure out stretches that aren't incredibly hard stretches for them to make so that they'll tend to avoid or, or have a, a low likelihood of success, but some, some stretches that are stretches, but that will likely result in some small wins, some early wins that will build up their courage and confidence to be able to keep on the track of stepping outside their comfort zone. I think it's also nice to um, use some of the tools in the book. For example, I think organizations and managers can help with this customization piece, right? They can they can help employees understand the ways that they can customize, perhaps even offer some tools and ideas to help them customize. So I think there are a lot of tools in the book that can very easily be applied to um, to to the sort of the organizational frame. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation, bro, both from a personal perspective and also from a professional perspective. And I think you have a lot of really important insights and, and I'm sure the listeners will take away a lot of them. And I want to just wish you all the best with, with the book and your future research and teaching work. Thank you so much. This is really uh, enjoyable, I, I, uh, and, I, and I'm happy to hear from anybody. As I mentioned, my website, and I've got an email on there and so on, and I love to connect with people around these topics. So thanks so much for having me on. Thank you.